anytime we have an opportunity to talk to somebody who has had direct experience with UFOs, visitations, and abductions, we're excited about it. And Mike Stevens is one of those people. And then No More Slevic is an author who took Mike's story and put it into a book called Granite Skies. And they're up next right here on Beyond Reality. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Beyond Reality Paranormal. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. I'm going to ask that you support this program. The easiest way to do that, by the way, is if you're listening as a podcast, you just open up the description of the episode and you scroll down to the bottom. And at the bottom, there is a link that says support this podcast. If you click on that, you'll be taken to a page that gives you a couple of options for supporting the show. We greatly appreciate it. It helps us bring great programs to you every week, and we look forward to continuing to do that. And if you're enjoying the program on YouTube, there's another way you can support the show. Just go to the description. You'll see a link to a Patreon page. It's Joha, J-O-H-A-W. And if you go to the Patreon page, you'll be able to pledge an amount to help support the show as well. Once again, thanks for your support. Thank you for listening. Please share it with your friends. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mike. And Nomar, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's great to have you with me tonight. Hey, JB. How you doing? Thank you so much for having me back. I appreciate it. Yeah, I was trying to remember when you were on last, Nomar. Um, gosh, when was that? It was. I think 2018, maybe? Yeah, that sounds about right. Well, it's, yeah. great. it's great to have you back. Mike, are you with us, too? Yeah, I'm right here. Okay, just want to make sure you're both there. Um, I'm not sure what the best place to start with this story is. Nomar, I guess, Nomar, tell us how you became familiar with Mike's story and what prompted you to uh, decide to take on a project and put it into book form. Sure. So uh, Mike and I had been uh, acquaintances for a little while. He uh, used to help run a center uh, in New Hampshire. It was the uh, KRI Center for Consciousness Studies. And uh, they'd have a lot of different type of, uh, types of events that would go on during the weekends there. Sometimes there would uh, uh, be uh, meetings that Mike can get into uh, in a little bit. Uh, but they'd also uh, invite authors and speakers down to, to give presentations. And that's how I became familiar and friendly with Mike. I'd go down there, give a presentation, things like that. And uh, through just interacting with Mike, uh, I got to know that he had some pretty intense experiences uh, with extraterrestrials, but I, I, I definitely didn't know the whole scope of his story. And, uh, and we were talking on the phone maybe about two years ago now. It seems like forever ago. And I was getting more of the stories, and it kind of just dawned on me, like, uh, this, this story has to be told and he and I kind of went back and forth on that, you know, uh, the discussing possibilities, what that might look like. And then it grew into something beyond what we both thought it could be. And it, it, it's this book. But it took on a real personal, uh, a, a very uh, uh, humanity-driven tone. Not that it wouldn't anyways, but where the book went as far as uh, mental health surviving trauma where it went that way surprised both of us before uh, we get to mike's story here what were your notions of 
whether it's just UFOs or abductions or even ET encounters prior to hearing Mike's story, did you have any, any, uh, did you believe, did you disbelieve, did you not really give it any consideration? Uh, definitely give it consideration. I've been some sort of believer since I was a child. This is my third book, and it's my third book on UFO-related material. So it's certainly a a personal passion of mine. I've had my own experiences, certainly nothing as intense as as Mike. I've I've essentially seen things in the sky that I can't explain, again, starting when I was young. So there was some sort of believability that there's something more going on than, than we know. Uh, I, honestly, I still don't know what the hell that is, <laughs> but uh, uh, still trying to, to find answers, I suppose. So you uh, had some basic understanding of the ufology community. You ba- had some basic knowledge. You r- had written about it, obviously. But then when you heard Mike's story, you, you said, this has to be told. So uh, that says something about Mike's story. It does. It's intense, and it's sad, and it's scary, and it's uh, 2020, and Mike has entered his 40th year this year, and he's still with us. And if you, you know, if they read the book, they'll understand why that's such a big deal. Uh, he, he went through a lot, and the fact that he's still here is amazing. Mike, let's talk about your story. How did it start? How did this whole ordeal that's lasted so many years start for you? Um, well, so... You know, this was one of the biggest things I struggled with, you know, trying to do lectures and talk to other people with about this sort of stuff, that when Nomar said he wanted to take this on, you know, I looked at him and was like, you're putting a lot on your plate. How are you going to tell a story that has no beginning and no end? Um, And he did a fantastic job, by the way. But my first um, standing memory of this happened when I was about three and a half, four years old. Um, at my grandmother's house, there was some type of family function going on because the whole extended family was there, aunts, uncles, and, you know, the whole jazz. And the way my grandmother's house was set up, you had to walk through the dining room to get, like, you walked in through the kitchen, but then you had to walk in through the dining room to get to the living room, the bathroom, the bedroom, like any other spot in the house. Okay. And off this dining room, there was a three-season porch that overlooked the backyard. And as soon as I walked by that area of the house through the dining room by that screen porch that overlooked the backyard, I had this just overwhelming call to get outside. Um, I don't remember how I got outside, but I found myself standing in the driveway next to my cousin. Uh, my cousin's only six months older than I am, so the odds that one of us made it out of the house at that age undetected, you know, is a miracle in itself. Right. The fact that both of us are standing there is, you know, a, an entirely different story. Um, so we're both standing in the driveway. We didn't really know why or what. And the next thing we knew, the woods behind my uh grandmother's house started glowing red um like they they were backlit with this reddish glow and then slowly um the glow came up and once it made it above the tree line you could see this um object that you know had the classic i don't think we could tell at this point but we could just see an object and then it slowly started 
floating towards us in the driveway. Um, as it got closer, we could see, you know, a shape to it. And it had this, you know, what I'd call a classic saucer-type shape, a little dome on the bottom, a little dome on the top, you know, and that sort of thing. And it, this thing kind of, like, floated across the lawn and parked itself. When I say parked, I, I mean stopped, hovered. It didn't land on the ground. Um, next to this tree that used to be at the end of my grandmother's driveway. It sat there for a while, and you could see this pattern of lights going around the center of the object. And there were, like, white and soft yellows and this sort of thing. And they were strobing around in a pattern. And then all of a sudden, like, the air changed. You could feel, like, a thickness in the air and this really heavy, intense feeling of, like, being watched. Um, but it was a little different from, like, when you know somebody was looking at you. It was kind of more almost internal. And then all of a sudden, this row of lights around the center of the object uh, changed in intensity and color and started flashing a lot faster with uh, a lot more, um, like, brighter oranges and red lights in it. And as this was happening, um, a set of lights went off inside the object, almost like when you open a car door at night, like some sort of interior light almost dinged on like with a soft yellow, and it, when that happened, it revealed a soft yellow light that showed us humanoid figures, but not that you could make out any details. All we really saw was shadows of, like, shoulders and heads. You couldn't really make out any features. Mm -hmm. Then in my standing memory, there was a blank, and the next thing I know, this object is at the other end of the driveway, it's hovering above a telephone pole for a minute, kind of sits there for a second, and then just shoots off up and into a dot, and then you can't see it in, like, the blink of an eye. And that was my first experience. So I have some, I I have some questions about that. You may have mentioned it in, in the detail that you just gave us, but did you give us a sense of size, a sense of scale of what how large um, this No, I don't think I did. Um, in my best estimate... You know, it, it was probably about 40 feet wide and then half as tall, so maybe so was, like 20 feet tall, 40 feet wide. That's considerable. That's big. Um, how long did the whole episode take from what you can tell? And you, you may not have a great uh, sense of that, given the fact that you were probably somewhat mesmerized, but how long do you think that took? Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it was one of those things where it felt like it was a really long time. Um I wouldn't put it at more than 10 minutes. I mean, even 10 minutes is a long time. You know, that's a long time, especially as, as kids. Does your cousin recall the same details? Well, so what happened was we'd always grown up um, just with this surface conversation about, hey, remember the UFO we saw when we were kids? Yeah, and kind of left it at that. We never really talked about it. Um, I was in like my mid twenties when I had a hypnos yeah, hypnosis session to mm -hmm. um, kind of see what happened in that little middle blank. So it was around that time in my life I was really just starting to come to terms with all the things that had happened to me. And I said, I'm going to call her and see what she remembers. So I called her up and I was like, Do you remember that UFO we saw as kids? 
And she said, yes. I'm like, tell me what you, you know, remember about it, and then right. I'll tell you what I remember. And she started telling me this story that I had forgotten about until she started telling me. And then I remembered, and it was at the same location. It was at my grandmother's house again. Um, in her mind, we were very young. In my mind, we were about eight or nine on, on this um, occasion. But um, what we saw was a, a red ball of light come into the sky, and it wasn't like watching a plane or a satellite. I, this thing was making, like, figure eights and circles, and like it really looked like it was putting on a performance for us, and that's what she remembered. And this, this, um, was, this was an event that happened later. In my memory, to her, that was the one we've talked oh, about. Oh, really? Okay. Since we were kids. So mm-hmm. there's a little discrepancy there. Hmm. Um, and I, we, we hadn't talked for maybe 12 years. I just went and saw her a couple weekends ago and, for the first time in all those years. And we, we started talking about all this stuff again. And she swears it was Christmas Eve. Um, and I... I can't put together if we were that young, saw that in the sky, and it was Christmas Eve that we went to UFOs, not Santa Claus. But So, it's you know, it's still one of these mysteries we're still trying to work yeah, out yeah. That's within the, our own. That's the problem with, uh, you know, with, with events that occur when you're that young. Um, sometimes it gets a little fuzzy. But um, you had the way you started your part of this story here is you said you, you got this over, overwhelming call to go outside or get outside. And um, you found yourself standing next to your cousin. Is it your belief, looking back on it, and from what you've been able to remember, that you were drawn out intentionally by whatever was in that craft? Yeah, I mean, I can only say it's my perception, but yeah, I believe that's what happened. I believe we were called out. This wasn't an accident that we're standing in the driveway and this thing came out. I believe we're called out. To and, meet it. and what has continued to happen to you through the course of your life, I would assume, would be um, what we would consider to be uh, corroborating uh, evidence of that, right? Because you, the contacts didn't end then. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I want to bring Nomar in here. Nomar, when you when you first uh, heard Mike's story and you heard uh, his encounter as a young child, did you start to think that maybe this was going to, going to be? Uh, a life filled with this for him? Well, I, I, I had already known that uh, he had a lifetime of encounters. What surprised me is that this intense of an encounter was the catalyst for a lifetime of encounters. And it honestly just gets more and more intense. And uh, a, a lot of years later, Mike had some hypnoregression therapy where he remembered more about this first encounter. That's pretty wild stuff. Yeah, it is. So, Mike, then talk a little bit about how this evolved as you got older. Did it, did it disappear for a while and then come back when you were an adult, or did you continue to have regular experiences? I mean, it comes and goes and flows, but it's always been around for the most part. You know, maybe not every day, but... Um, yeah, there, it, it's always been a part of my life. Okay. So what, what continued to happen? Did you just continue to have sightings? Did you, uh, get any, were there any like home invasions into your bedroom while you were sleeping? Those kind of things that we often hear about? Yeah. I mean, so even going back to 
this occasion. I know some people like hypnosis. Some people say, ah, throw it out the window. Mm-hmm. When I did the hypnosis for this occasion, and, you know, because I was, I was about 25 at this point, and just really starting to process what had happened to me from, you know, that age to 25, um, one of the weird things that popped up was a, a familiarity of this wasn't the first time that I had known, you know, what was going on, even though it seemed new to me from my standing memory. And this is all through the hypnosis again, just to clarify. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we kind of looked at that, I ended up telling Nomar, I was like, well, this one weird thing happened when I was a baby, but I don't know. And he can probably tell it better because he actually did a lot of research on like some of the other causes that, you know, that was a great thing about Nomari. He never didn't believe me, but he always looked for, you know, a rational answer as well. So, uh, Nomar, do you mind kind of throwing in what you did there? Uh, sure. So when Mike was an infant, he suffered from something called blue baby syndrome. Now, this only lasted a, a couple of few hours, uh, but his parents were very surprised to find him a shade of blue. They immediately brought him to the doctors. Uh, the, the one doctor said, you know, he's just dehydrated. Uh, it's really nothing to worry about. His parents looked at each other, and they're like, uh, <laughs> this is something to worry about. We're going to go. They went to see another doctor, and the other doctor really didn't have any more answers either because Mike was breathing fine. He was eating just fine, you know, drinking his, his liquids just fine. And uh, so his parents were left to just cope with what was going on. And then again, after a few hours, he, he returned to normal. So in my research, I looked into causes of blue baby syndrome. Well, in the medical field, it's an actual syndrome that does happen to infants. Uh, it's kind of like the perfect storm of things need to happen a certain way uh, in regards to uh, ingesting nitrites, which are not good for the body, uh, especially a baby, and it affects their hemoglobin. And, uh, and it also depends on where you live in the country where that can happen. And uh, where Mike lived, it, there was not a high probability of that happening, but it is possible. On the other side, the extraterrestrial side, there are thousands of reports of blue aliens, blue toddlers, and yeah. blue infants. Yeah. In, in regards to, to alien species. And, you know, so that then brings up, is there some sort of hybrid thing going on? And I, and I know that kind of gets far-fetched, and, and yeah, believe me, I'm right there with you, and so is Mike, too. We're, we're not strangers to how weird this sounds, uh, but we are open uh, to any possibility. But in the book, it is important for, for me and Mike to present both sides, and ultimately it's up to the reader. But no more. I'm trying to, find, I'm trying to decide where you fall on this. Do you believe that, that Mike is the, uh, um, I don't know what the word is, I was going to say victim, but maybe it's not victim, product of? Is, is there something hybrid about Mike? Uh, in my opinion, no. I, I don't think Mike is a hybrid, but that's just an opinion now that could change two weeks from now. Let me ask. Let me ask Mike the same question. Mike, do you think that you are a product of some hybridization? Um, as a physical body, no. Okay. If you start getting down to the spiritual stuff. Could it be the star seed? Like all this happened because I was supposed to be here and do what I'm doing? Yeah, maybe. But I don't. I don't know. I can't like 
stamp that with a rubber stamp and say, yeah, that's an absolute. Okay. All right. So, no more. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Right. Uh, continue where you were. Uh, well, um, uh, I guess I kind of lost my train of thought there. Um, but uh, I, I am a believer in Mike's story. I am a believer of extraterrestrials. I do not claim to, to know what they are. Uh, even the term UFO uh, I struggle with because it, it's become synonymous with extraterrestrial when, in fact, and the way I look at it is it is something seemingly unidentifiable. It could be identified if we're given more information, uh, or it could not. And that's where it gets interesting, and that's where I like to poke uh, my head into. Uh, but I, I am a believer uh, of extraterrestrials, and I do believe Mike's story. I, I've sat in a room with him uh, many different times, but specifically regarding this book, for like four hours at a time. And... I'm seeing his body language. I, I, I'm hearing the tone in his voice. And if he is just making this up, he's an amazing actor. Uh, but just even knowing Mike on a personal level, like, you can't help but to believe him. If, if you meet this man, you'll believe him. Well, I mean, our conversation has been rather limited so far, but he sounds very yeah. genuine and very sincere. I don't have any any question of that. Um, and by the way, when I interrupted you, you had said something that I felt was very important as well, which you said, you know, you present the information and let the readers make their own determinations. Absolutely. I, th I think that's important. I, I, I want to present unbiased uh, information, as unbiased as possible. That's not always possible, but as unbiased as possible, because Mike and I are not trying to force any sort of belief down people's throats. Mike has an amazing story. We both think it should be told, and people can take it for what it is. You can read it as a novel, or you can read it as nonfiction. Our opinion is that it's nonfiction, uh, but it's a fascinating read regardless, you know. So, Mike, tell us about um, this extended period of visitations as a child. How did that happen? What was happening? And how did these uh, creatures or beings appear to you? Um. You know, it's one of those weird things. So when we did the book, I, you know, I, I was 40 years, you know, uh, later, 37-ish, right. you know, years later, sure. about 40 years old. And we told the book, um, you know, as best we could on a timeline schedule chronologically that um, it's not how it worked for me. It's not how it works for a lot of experiences. We don't go... You know, we don't keep little calendars and go, all right, this happened to us three, the next thing that I remember. You know, so it didn't naturally flow that way. Um, so sometimes you'd add ever, other stuff that would happen, and that would trigger a memory of something that happened earlier and back and forth. Um, but I'm just trying to explain that. But to answer your question, like, so chronologically, the next really thing that happened I didn't really notice anything was weird with any of this stuff until I got to about school age where you realize all of a sudden, um, oh, you don't talk about this stuff. But I had yeah. already developed a lot of um, social anxieties that, you know, my gr grandmother, who was very close to us, it's not like she lived across the country and we only saw her once a year or something, Um I learned to talk, and I knew how to talk for about two years before I'd talk to her. I, you know, I was or middle class people, regular people. Mm -hmm. You know, my parents both worked. Sometimes we'd have to go to babysitters, and we live out in rural New England. And 
we don't have street lights every two seconds. So there's a lot of dark roads. And I remember as a kid having to sit backwards in the car at night, like coming home from the babysitter, just because when we'd go under a street light, I would have what we now call an anxiety attack. I don't know that's what it was called then. Um, you know, if I saw this bright light from above in the dark come at yeah, me, yeah. but I could deal better with it, you know, if I saw it leaving. But so I, I don't really, there's some hazy years, obviously. I mean, we, I shouldn't even really have memories of that young to begin, so science says. But the next real big thing that I really remember, and no Mark can correct me if I'm wrong, if there's something, he's like, no, what about this? But um, we ended up moving into the house next to my grandmother's where all these, these two prior experiences um, we talked about happened. Mm-hmm. And... This is uh, second to third grade-ish that we lived there. Okay. And what would happen, um, there was extended visitations while I was living there. Um, the And it would come start as balls of light that would come in through the window. And once they got into the window, they would take, like, shadowy humanoid forms, but it was almost like smoke filled. You could see some type of um, like movement within the shadow. So it wasn't so exactly so it's it kind like of kind of like just so I just understand it's kind of like a smoke filled area, but yet you could tell there was some kind of form in there moving. Yeah, well, it almost seemed like there was the smoke was moving within this humanoid shadow type form or bipedal okay. form. Um. And this is how they would enter the room. And as far as we can tell, this was ongoing um, for a period of at least about nine months. You know, I don't know if it was every day or, uh, you know, every other day, but it, it was more than once a week. And these shadows, or for lack of a better term, um, they had an energy to them. They had a presence about them where you could, they had a feel to them. Um, and usually what it was, two of them seemed to be male. Um, I guess energies at this point is what I call them. One seemed to be female. And that those were the usual three that came. Um, and it was usually the same type deal. The female energy would taste, uh, kind of in the corner. She she was more. She had, I, this seems, sounds weird to say about a shadow. I know, um, but she had this real motherly feel to her. The other two were more militaristic, not in a like mean or aggressive way, but just very strict. And it, they always had this um, energy about them, like he needs to learn his lessons, um, and it it wasn't a threat, like we use today like oh you're going to learn your lesson it was more like no he needs to learn this stuff mike were you getting Um, any kind of audio or verbal communication from these beings or was this all just a sense that you were getting um yeah telepathic to just uh just an understanding without maybe even hearing a voice inside my head okay um and then on one occasion they also brought I was never allowed off the bed for the most part. I could sit up, but so on one occasion they brought what seemed to me to be a small um, 
male child, and they let me off the bed to sit with this child. And I looked at him, and I said, what are you, you know? And he, all of a sudden, this image of uh, Rosie the robot from the Jetsons beamed into my head. And, like, I didn't see him physically laugh, but that was the emotion I got off of it. Um, And like I said, this went on for about nine months. Um, The only real things I remember about any of these, what I call lessons, um, would be um, on one occasion, the female approached the bed with, uh, like, a black box. And she opened it up, and inside of it was what looked like an arrowhead, like an Indian artifact, Mm -hmm. but, like, clear, like, made out of glass or... um, crystal or something and she said this is the key and i have no idea if that was like a physical key or you know just symbolism for something but right during this time um or or this is the last time i saw them and the first time i saw them is what happened was i was i found myself um just pressed against the piece of a piece of cloth and I saw uh, blood on the cloth, so I kind of pulled my head back to look around, and I saw that the blood was coming from my nose, and the cloth was this robe this female being uh, was wearing. And I, as I turned my head, I realized I was about 15 to 20 feet in the air uh, looking back at these two rickety old steps that went into the laundry room that my bedroom was off of, and we were descending down towards it. I don't remember how we got into the house, but once we're in the house, the females there and the two males, uh, and I know it sounds weird, but by energy, you could tell it was them still, but I could Mm -hmm. see them this time. Mm -hmm. Um, The female was a little shorter than the males, and they kind of looked like your typical you know, grays, you know, as far as the big black eyes, but they were a little more rounded and they were more uh, white and porcelain in color. And they, like every other time, like I said before, they were kind of militaristic, very, very like they knew what every step of the night was going to be, like what came next, this, that. And this time they looked really panicked, um, like they did something they shouldn't have. And my perception is that they stepped into something that was more of an abduction scenario um, and kind of pulled me out of it. Hmm. So, yeah, there's a little bit to swallow there. That's Sorry. a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of information. But uh, how often were these types of visitations occurring while you were in this house? Uh, like I said, over a nine month period, maybe not daily, but. Pretty frequently during a week. Did you did you uh, did you live with your parents? Were your parents in the home? Yeah, yeah. And actually, you know, for anybody who's trying to do any psychological, you know, research, my parents are still together. We, it, like it's never been a broken home. Or yeah, that, that wasn't where I was going with it, though. I was going to ask if you'd shared any of this with them. If you told them, Mom, Dad, uh, these things keep coming into my room at night, or were you too afraid, or were you told not to? I, I there was a big fear. I think I think part of it was from them that you don't tell, and I think 
because of the other anxieties and my just, I was afraid to talk um, just in general. And so I think the combination of the two just really, I don't know if this story made the book or not, um, but like even by third grade, there's, there was this t- I had to go to the bathroom and I was so scared because of this type of stuff and, you know, not knowing whether I should talk or not talk to draw any attention to myself where I remember peeing myself in class because I couldn't raise my hand and say, I need to go to the bathroom because I couldn't draw any extra attention to myself. Like I was that messed up at, at you know, my third grade about just, social and basic things because of all this. I had no idea what was going on or who I was or what I could or couldn't do. No, Maurice, you were putting this together uh, in in book form, and you're you're listening to Mike tell these, give you these details and tell you this story. You must have been, uh, you know, just... In awe. I mean, you've heard you heard the story before you wrote about it. But I'm I'm from what I'm gathering here is the more Mike talks about it, the more details he remembers. Yeah, that's I would say that's exactly right. And also, just like what you're doing when when I was interviewing him, uh, you know, questions would pop up in the middle of of some of these stories to try to get some some clarification. Uh, but to answer your direct question, yeah, I was in constant awe. Uh, sometimes when uh, I was interviewing him, I would get lost in my own thought, uh, like, wow, like, what would I be doing in this situation? Or sometimes I visualized myself there. And, you know, I don't know if that was like a bond building between us or, or, or what. I'm just thankful that I was also recording it on audio so I didn't miss any details. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I was in awe the, the entire time. We, we, we talked a few times about it, and every time, even hearing it now, it, uh, I'm like, geez, I, I can't believe someone lived through this, you know? Mike, we're go- as always happens when we have a story that has this much depth and this uh, much information, we find ourselves getting short of time, uh, and I don't want to run out of time before we you know, get uh, the whole story here. So after you had these types of experience, did, did anything change or did this, did this just continue? Um, no, I think things changed um, over the years and whether it was they, they changed it or my perception of what was happening changed. But as I was um, younger, everything seemed a lot more physical. There were more physical um, abductions. Uh, I mean, and there's, like, even the next, like, story is kind of like, it's almost not really the catalyst for because there were more Mm -hmm. physical stuff after that. But where I started to notice, like, I watched an event happen, as I, or as, as I'm standing there in scene with it, going, "This isn't right." You know, I didn't know what a screen memory was at the time, but even at the time, I'm like, "I'm watching something that isn't real." Like I'm watching a movie, but this isn't happening. Type of scenario. So let's let's advance the story here a little bit. You, uh, the what you just told us. Uh, you, I think you said you were third or fourth grade when those types of visitations were occurring. You, you, you're getting older, obviously, and uh, what what happens next? Well, so we moved out of um, that house, and we moved up to um, Farmington, New Hampshire. And uh, so just because we're short on time, I'll, 
even though it's one of Nomar's favorite things, but it's in the book, the little diggers in the backyard. Um, we, we, me and my brother shared a room, and we were on the second floor, and we used to have this big, ugly, chalkware lamp that weighed like 300 pounds, but it sat on a bookcase right next to the window, and we would sit there and do dumb stuff like boys do, and we'd just melt crayons on it for something to do. And I was standing there doing that one night, and um, as I'm doing that, this giant face appears in the window. Um, this is a face of, again, you know, your archetype gray alien, but it has more of a bluish purple hue to its face. And it, it takes up the whole window on the second floor. And as I'm staring at this face in the window, um, a blue jay comes crashing through the face, smashes into the window, and, um, like, terrifies me for life. I am not a small guy, and I am terrified so, of small so birds. The, the bir- the bird, uh, so the, the face itself was was not a solid form? Is that what, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, it, I, it seems to be a projection because I... One, I don't think it could be on a second-floor window taking up a whole window and nobody noticing. No, I don't think it was. Um, and the Blue Jay obviously didn't notice it either. Right. So it was, you think it was projected there? Yeah. Or, you know, it's one of those things with any of this. You know, Nobar's asked me, he's like, I don't know what to make of that. What do you make of it? How the hell would I know? Um <laughs> That's the problem yeah, with a lot of this. I, I mean, you're, you're. I was meant to see it. Yeah. But, like, was it physically there? No. But was it there? Yes. Yeah. Now, that's the problem with a lot of this stuff. I mean, we're being asked to rationalize things that are that aren't really within our sphere of rationalization, and uh, you're trying. You're, you're you know you're trying to define things and describe things that are literally otherworldly. So therefore, we don't have the right explanations or the right. Uh, justifications. Uh, so I, I completely understand what you're talking about here. Um, so y- if we fast forward a little bit here, or a lot of bit, we bring us up to present day, are you still being contacted? Yeah, uh, what was it? Maybe it was three weeks ago, maybe, but maybe it's two. I don't know. Like this year is a weird time to keep uh, track of days in. But, <laughs> yeah, um, it is. I, it was one of these hot days up here in New England. It was like 95. I know some of the countries like, ah, that ain't that hot. But, you know, for us, that's hot. And we had like 80% humidity. It was miserable. And I was out um, camping, had a shady spot. I'd gotten out there at about 11 in the morning, had everything set up, fire going, kicked back a couple of beers. And I'm just like, all right, I was content. You know, I'm like, this is where I am for the day. And for whatever reason, out of the blue, this is at the base of a – mountain it's not a big mountain it's like 1100 feet it's not really tall but for whatever reason around five o'clock i get this notion calling whatever you want to call it that i'm going to pack up camp and i'm going to climb up this mountain so i do and then i get up there i don't see anything i make this short little like facebook video like oh i'm up here whatever and you know so and I only mentioned that because it puts a timeline where I have something I can look back to and go, okay, that happened at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I decide I'm going to sit down and have a beer and kind of just stretch out my back. I lay back on this jagged rock, and I'm like, all right, it feels good to just sit here for five minutes and lay here for five minutes to close my eyes. The next thing I know, I wake up, and the sky is visibly darker. And I'm like, what is going on? So I pull out my phone, and I'm like, oh, two hours have gone by. I'm like, I don't know how I didn't roll off this mountain or how I laid on this rock for two hours. That's a little weird, but I need to get my hammock set up up here or, you know, quickly, or I'm going to not have a very good night. So I'm running around trying to find, uh, you know, the right set of trees that will the hammock fits and all this stuff. And as I'm doing that, I see this um, strobing coming from my backpack, and I'm like, what is going on? And I see it's my headlamp. The problem is um, my headlamp doesn't have a strobe feature, and you really have to click it hard. Like, you can't jar it by accident to get through all four of these features. So I take a, I pull it out. I throw it on the rock. I take a quick little video of it that I'm, I think in my head I was going to use the bitch about it later going, I need to either set up camp or get down a mountain in the dark, and this is what my flashlight does. Wasn't really thinking too much about it. Uh, pull the batteries up, put them back in. It works fine. I'm like, all right, good. Finally find a spot to get the hammock set up. And I was so preoccupied, the minute I'm going to clip the last clip for the hammock, I realize I am, like, completely covered in mosquitoes. Like, this is not going to work. So I hike back down the mountain, get back, set up camp where I was, restart everything, everything's fine, go back the next night. I look at the video, and I'm like, that's a little weird. I show it to two people uh, the next day. I had the headlamps still with me. I'm like, "Um, look, like, try to bump it on by accident. What do you think? They're like, yeah, that's kind of weird. But, Nomar, I think you should take it away from here because I sent you some videos, and, yeah, so so Mike sent me the video of his headlamp blinking, and the blinking to me looked like Morse code. And again, his headlamp does not have a blinking feature. And so I, I you know, Googled a Morse code sheet, mm-hmm. and the Morse code spelled out two letters, and it was M and S. Mike Stevens. Mike Stevens is his name, and <laughs> yeah. it, it blew our minds. It, it gave wow. me goosebumps. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It, it was really weird, and it's just so weird that that headlamp doesn't have a blinking feature. You know, he showed me all four features that it has, and there's bright, brighter, and then it goes to, like, a red, and I forget what the fourth one was, but there's no blinking feature. And I. It, so what's yeah. what? I mean, this is all speculation, obviously, sure. but what's the point of what? What's the point of that? Let's say that know. that these these uh, ETs are somehow uh, controlling your lamp to to Morse code your name. Is it just is it just pranksterish? Is it just just to show you they can that they're there that they're watching that they're listening? Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, I've gotten to the point where i think that yeah they're definitely uh physical beings i think there's definitely physical crafts but i think of them uh almost the way people think of spirit guides i think they can be around us all the time without seeing lights in the sky and this sort of stuff and i think sometimes they do just send us a little 
<laughs> reminder. Just a reminder. Not, yeah, yeah, just a here. reminder. So, Mike, of all these years of experience and contact, and by the way, we've only scratched the surface on this story, as Nomar can attest to. The book has so much more information in it. But um, as, as you uh, stand there now, do you have any evidence of or any reason to suspect any type of uh, marking on your body or implantation in your body? Anything like that that you suspect or have evidence of? Um, yes and no. I mean, I've always been such a rough and tumble. I'm outside all the time, uh, hiking, camping. I'm one of those people who somebody has to tell me I'm bleeding. I'm like, oh, yeah, wh- when did I do that? Um, I do have a, a lump on my leg. That I don't know what it is. Uh, but, you know, until I know, for all I know, it could be a piece of glass. It could be a rock. It could be, you know. How much how much direct communication you've have you had? Have you had any what we would consider to be conversations where you actually have a dialogue occurring? Um dialogue's a funny way to look at it. Um I've had one where I definitely think they sent me a message and one like normally when I'm around them, if they're talking to you like you hear it in your head or mm-hmm telepathic, however you want to say it. Uh, on one occasion, I heard one of them talk to another one. They were walking me up the driveway, which had never happened before. But I, I don't have any real memories of, like, back-and-forth conversations. So were you able, obviously you haven't been able to ask these questions, but maybe they gave you the information voluntarily. Were you able to determine what race of extraterrestrials these are and where they're from and what they wanted from you? No, um, you know, I was, you know, fairly stupid to a lot of this for a long time. And maybe stupid is not the right word. I was fairly in denial for, of this for a long time. Sure. Um, you know, and, you know, that was one of the things Nomar asked me as we were going through the book when stuff, you know, started happening to my daughter he's like well did you you know ever tell them like you don't have the right to do this or this or that and i was like no i never thought i had the power to you know so yeah i i've always this kind of all it wasn't like so horrible and mean you know from the very beginning but it kind of crushed my soul my personality like i i've always been really shy i've always been very sheltered around anybody else and always too scared to say two bits and so you know now as you hear other people's stories and what they've done and the communications they've got i believe them i just it was never in my experience to or thought process to even ask or know that that was a possibility so no more as you were getting this story from mike um obviously there are a lot of very very personal details i mean he shared some some with us and i'm sure there are many more how do you put this into a book form, story form? Because you said it could be read, someone could read it and take it as a novel, some could read it and take it as nonfiction. Yeah, it, I, I think the best way uh, that we felt to present it was chronological. So it starts at infancy uh, and it ends uh, present day and, and, and what he's overcome 
uh, between those pages is, is not, honestly is nothing short of a of a miracle. But but that's how we approach it was chronological. But it's also interspersed with some of my own uh, inner dialogue uh, that was happening uh, during some of our conversations. Uh, I also uh, throw in some stories uh, from New England that also remind me of uh, Mike's stories, just to kind of put everything in context. There's a whole chapter dedicated uh, to other sightings in the state of New Hampshire. Of course, they're famous for the Betty and Barney Hill right. uh, abduction that happened. And Mike uh, was the sole catalyst to getting the Betty and Barney Hill marker put up uh, oh, wow. in, in New Hampshire. He did have some help after that, but he was the one that, that started everything with that. And, uh, and that's just amazing. So. But yeah, chronological, and uh, and that's the way we decided to go with it. Mike, you uh, you made it very clear that this has affected you in very very many ways. It's affected your personality. You said it crushed your soul. Uh, was sharing this and having Nomar put it together so that your story could be told was that therapeutic in any way? And have you been able to come to terms with this as your life moves forward? Are you going to be able to handle this as more visitations occur? Yeah, I mean, in a way, a lot of good has come out of it. Um, you know, I'm working with other experiences now and, you know, I'm helping them. They're helping me. It's, it's really circular in that way. But as far as the book goes, it was like he said at the very beginning, we haven't really touched on this book went in direction. We didn't expect it was going to. And, you know, when the final product, it was like, like a lot of experiences when they first open up, you, think you can trust somebody and i don't want anybody to mistake that like i can trust no mark completely um you know it's like ah, have i said too much what am i gonna do like that's out there like my mom's gonna read this my daughter's gonna read this my yeah. family's gonna read my friends are gonna read this and a lot of them were there when i was at my lowest and had no idea because i wouldn't tell anybody well, it's an amazing so, story. Yeah, it's an amazing story, and thank you for sharing it. I imagine that as you started talking about this, you probably had a lot of people approaching you who either had similar experiences or were just very, very curious about yours. Does that help you that you that that you now know there are many others that have had similar experiences? Yeah, and I, I mean, I kind of knew that. I've done the research and, and that sort of thing, but. Um, the, the response we've got from the book so far is, you know, it's we, we kind of started this project like, hey, you've seen a lot. Let's write the book. Let's do this, you know, as an atypical UFO book. This is this is our subject. He saw A, B, C, and D, you know, that sort of thing. And somewhere along the lines, like, yeah, what I've seen keeps turning the pages, but it, it really turned into a human story, not um an extraterrestrial one, which I think is a bigger point. And we weren't sure how people were really going to take that, but they're, they're responding well. And uh, I think all the reviews we've gotten of the book itself, but what I've gotten for personal emails as well, are people, people are like, yeah, you get it. Like we understand we're, we're there. Like, and they're just one, they're happy. They have somebody to talk to. And two, they're like, yeah, somebody's finally saying this, you know? Yeah. I know more. Is this a book written for UFO junkies? Uh, 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 is it written for people who have had similar experiences? Is it written for just the mildly curious? How would you define the, the appropriate audience for this? In 
my opinion, uh, it's written for anyone who has even a passive interest in the paranormal in general and for anyone who has struggled with mental health. Uh, there's, there's a lot of trauma uh, discussion in here. There's a lot of normalizing the discussion, uh, everything uh, up to and including suicide. And uh, it's an important book in that way, and, and that's where we find a lot of people are responding in the positive. And we treat it very sensitively, and we treat it with kindness and uh, with an open heart, and, and uh, people are responding to that. And I just think that's great. And it's not out yet, though, but it's coming out soon? Uh, no, it's actually out now. It's available on Amazon and Kindle. And uh, also you can get a signed copy at uh, my online store, which is nomarslovic.bigcartel.com. And, Mike, do you encourage anybody who's had similar experiences? Do you have a group that you might uh, be part of that people can share experiences with you, or do you leave that to the others? Um, actually, I've been running groups for about, Ten years now, it uh, started as just open discussion, but over the last five, I've honed it down to um, experiencer support, and I run a group called Granite Sky, so the book is loosely based, title is loosely based uh, around that group, um, and our whole motto is, you know, just people not proof, because, uh, you know, we can't, like we were saying, you can't prove some of this stuff, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to talk about it. And so, you know, I've kind of gone head to head with ufology on that point, or at least old school ufology a little bit. But yeah, no, I've started, um, as we're starting to promote this book and stuff, um, people are reaching out from all across the country going, hey, I've had similar stuff. Or the, the biggest thing I get is like, I don't really need counseling. I don't really want to you know, I don't need a whole big back and forth or this and that. They're just like, I need to tell somebody without being ridiculed. And that is the most common thing I'm getting with emails lately. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, that's a common uh, sentiment among people that have had these experiences. They just need to be able to tell somebody who understands and doesn't judge them for what they're what the story they're relating. And do you think it's getting easier to do that? Have we turned any corners? I think it's more, um, you know, the Internet's a, a double-edged sword. There, yeah. It's easier to find people who agree with you. It's just as easy to find people who will cut you down in three seconds, yeah, too. That's so, true. That's true. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's a little bit more open than it used to be. I mean, even my own experience, I grew up in a house where, we, we could talk about ghosts all day long. That was fine. But nobody talked about UFOs. Mm. And it wasn't until I started doing this work and we got the marker up here in New Hampshire and this sort of thing that all these stories from the family started coming out of, and, like, what the family history involving UFOs was. And it was just like, what? I've been dealing with this alone my whole life, you know, in around you people, my family, and now you decide to tell me that, you know. So it, it it's so ingrained in our culture not to talk about this. It's, so I, I think it's helping people, but, yeah, it's 
better than it was, but we're not where we need to be yet. Yeah, we do have a long way to go. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for sharing the story with us, and thank you for connecting with Nomar to put it into book form so that people can read the whole thing start to finish. And uh, I wish you a lot of luck, not only with the book, but with these ongoing experiences that you continue to be strong and be able to handle them. Well, thank you. And, I mean, you know, maybe there'll be an updated version or a new book. But I do just want to say, like, Nomar is not just the author of this book. Uh, just, you know, he kind of said it a little bit as he was having his own thoughts while he's supposed to be listening and glad he recorded. He at, he really becomes a character in this book himself. Um, so it's not just my story. It's really our story. That's great. And Nomar, thank you so much for being coming back to the show and bringing Mike along and sharing this story and putting it into a form where a, a lot of people can read it, consider it, and um, learn some lessons from it. Thanks so much, JV. It's always an honor, and uh, just thanks again. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by JV Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.